Hello and welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. Hello, everyone. It's Lindsay and Krista. What is up? What's up? I'm smiling at you on YouTube. How you doing? Uh, uh, Nasal babies, but we're kicking it. Nasal babies. (laughs) I've accepted it. So I have two baby cats and I'm allergic, but I just kind of rock it and I've had a nasally voice for the past years. And I just got over something, something gnarly, and it's just kind of living in my ca- the cavities of my head right now. Yes. So we're. But when your voice is your money maker, it's <laughs> not good. <laughs> oh my goodness, we're together. So if y'all don't know, we live on opposite coasts, but we come together to record in batches. We call it the vortex. We drop in, and it gets wacky and wild and amazing. And uh, this is one of those weeks where we're recording just a bunch for y'all. I'm really mm-hmm. excited. Yeah, I am too. We got to record for Morning Microdose, which you all know is our podcast of short clips from the show. It's super inspirational and just like a dream of ours. And it was so much fun to do the intro and the outro mm-hmm. or the like the um, trailer. We recorded the trailer. So for podcasts, you can get a taste of them by listening to the trailers, which I'm sure you all know about. And then we did the end bumper of it and it was so much fun. Yeah. Voiceover, baby. Voiceover my, work My is... dream is to be in a Pixar movie as a voice. <laughs> like I want to be like a like a cactus. Oh, I like that. In a Pixar movie. I love that. That would be my dream. Krista the cacti. Honestly, Krista, the, I would love to do voiceover work just mm-hmm. because you can show wear up in whatever your you want and just <laughs> put it all into the voice. <laughs> it is, it's actually a very, it's a fun thing to do, especially if you like your voice, to hear your voice back in the moment because mm-hmm. it kind of helps with the, with how you're speaking actually yes. in the moment. It's a very weird experience. If you've never worn headphones while you're speaking into mm-hmm. a microphone, it definitely influences how you speak. Yeah, and learning to love your voice is a spiritual mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're learning to love all parts of us, but really finding a way to love my voice has been so much fun. Yes. Because voices matter. When there's a voice I don't jive with, it's hard for me. But isn't it funny how certain voices could not jive with you, but mm-hmm. then that same voice, someone could be like, oh my God, I love listening to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, when I was in Italy... There was an almost 30 fan there, and she's like, I listen to you guys, and I feel like I'm resetting my nervous system Oh, with our voices. I know. Goodness. I was like, should we pick up the, the energy? <laughs> like, I was like, is that what we want? <laughs> Get on the floor! <laughs> yeah, literally. I was like, wake up, drop and do 20. <laughs> um, no, that makes me happy. That's nice. I know. I was like, a nervous system reset. That's really nice. That's really, we all need one of those. I take that. Yeah, it was really beautiful. I it was really it. beautiful. Oh, man, I'm so excited about this episode with Danielle Laporte. Speaking of voices. Speaking. That's, she's probably that's number one. That's why we were talking about yeah, that. Yeah, she's number one, actually. Number one. One. Y'all, I'm excited for you to just get all three milky smoothie voices in here. Dude, milky smoothie baby girl voices. You'll it'll be funny actually now to hear the differences. Yes. Because so we recorded this episode when Lindsay and I were in Austin. So we were in Austin for, you know, a few days to record with some amazing guests. And we got to interview Danielle, although we didn't get to be in person. So we did it remotely, but you will be able to tell the beauty of our voices. And Mm -hmm. it's so incredible because I feel like we have a good rapport now where we're like very friendly and cool and we really enjoy each other's time. And for me, she's been someone that's been an incredible expander and pillar of 
the people, a pillar of the place <laughs> that I look to. Okay, but she's a pillar in the foundation of my archetypal mm-hmm, mm-hmm, inspiration. Keep going. Keep going. Yep. It's true. I'm it's looking true. at it. Yeah, she, I, I, and she, I mean, she's an OG. OG. And an OG in the sense that I feel she's like. She's the real OG. She's yeah, the real McCoy, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she truly, she's the real McCoy, baby. Who the fuck is McCoy? <laughs> Dude, I don't know what that's from. But she is the real McCoy. Because she's just, this is what I like about her. She's like, I, she said it. She's like, I'm a contrarian. Like, I'm kind of like always mm-hmm, on the, when mm-hmm. people are going this way, I'm going this way. I'm like, oh, I feel that But not honey. just to be a contrarian. Yes. Like she's. Sacred rebel. Yes. Sacred rebel archetype. Mm-hmm. Love her so much. You feel her heart when you talk to Danielle. Yes. That's what I love so much. And, and we that's, laugh. We laugh a lot. It's like a conversation where I can be very present to the little moments and be able to like call those out and talk about those and experience those rather than sometimes very rarely, but sometimes it could be very autopilot in, in conversations. But with her, it's like, wow, what are we going to talk about? Yes. Where are we going to go? Yeah. Where are we going to go? It's very real and present. Yeah. I love so much. Her new book is out today. We are celebrating our girl. It is called How to Be Loving When Your Heart is Breaking Open and the World is Waking Up. I am so excited about this because... I, I don't think I've ever said this before, so I want to make sure. I don't think I've ever said this before. I feel like this book was written for me mm-hmm. in so many ways. Let me just read the landing page because Danielle's writing is top tier, yeah. number one. I know. So how to be loving. When you turn to the heart, you uncondition your mind of all kinds of social programming. The intelligence of love dissolves eons of dogma that tells us to prove our worth and sort who's superior or inferior. Spirituality is really the practice of thinking with love, and we can effectively train ourselves to keep returning to love via our thoughts over and over again. Being loving doesn't necessarily mean more. It means feeling everything with more love. It's the ultimate inclusiveness, because in your heart, it's all in, your light and your shadows, and everyone else's. It is the non-dual place where complete self-acceptance has room to grow. This call for gentleness is counterculture, and it's what we've been yearning for. We do not need to focus on fixing ourselves. As we focus on living from our heart center, anything that's not in alignment with that light falls away. How to be loving is a nuanced perspective on the life-changing power of self-compassion, shadow work, and being more receptive to higher guidance. This is a guide on how to use the genius of your heart to create conditions for healing. Guys, that was written by me. Thank you so much for (laughs) listening to my words that I wrote. I mean, just kidding. Danielle's writing. She is a true. That's my dream channel. That's my dream writing. Mm -hmm. You do write like that. Writing is such an art. Mm -hmm. To be able to say all of this and be like, Mm -hmm. I believe you, and this feels approachable. Yes. But yet this feels. And to use the right words, like the resonance of words is such a thing. You know, yeah. What I loved about our conversation was we could talk about something that I've been struggling with, which is my understanding of loving more and opening my heart more means feeling more, which means crying more, Mm -hmm. which means experiencing more pain and grief and suffering. Mm -hmm. And as someone that's highly sensitive, that feels incredibly overwhelming. And it feels like it would just take me under and I would no longer, I would cease to exist because yeah. I just am constantly in 
an ocean of feeling. So talking about that with her and really how we can learn to feel more with love so that we're not really just caught up in the wave all the time. And then also too, I think from 2020 and beyond, the world is waking up. And then we also have co-currently that happening where we want to stay in our hearts. So how can we do this when the world feels so separate, the world feels so dark, it feels like there's so much duality. How can we be in our hearts? Mm-hmm. I found it to be like a simple and complex conversation. Simplicity was one of the things that we talked about. She's really simplified her life and the way she is living, how she's living. And it's really beautiful because a So much of this quote work can become overwhelming and complex if we allow it. But I find that Danielle's teaching is incredibly digestible because you take it in through the heart and you're not trying to like wrap your mind around it. So going into this conversation, just asking for those open hearts because I think what's meant to land will land. Again, the book is off today, How to Be Loving with your When Your Heart is Breaking Open and the World is Waking Up. She has the audiobook. She has the ebook. She has the one that you can hold in your hand. Um, she also has a companion deck and journal. Grab that. Grab it. And also from Danielle, I mean, her books live on our bookshelves forever. The Firestarter Sessions, The Desire Map, and White Hot Truth. She also has a podcast with Love, Danielle. I can't wait. We did one more episode with Danielle Laporte. So if you search Danielle Laporte, almost 30, you can listen to that one. And I think we're ready to get into it. Yeah, let's do it. Thank you, Danielle. We love you. And for all of you, enjoy this one and we'll see you on the other side. Love you guys. Okay. I need to introduce you to a revolutionary new app, um, Superhuman. I have been doing these superhuman activations every single morning for the last three weeks. Let me just tell you, I kind of fell off of my game after I had the baby. Most of my time and energy was going to him still is, but I have been able to carve out time in the morning before I get into the swing with him. And I've been doing these activations. I do a lot of the shorter ones because I don't have a ton of time, but let me just say, this is new. Like this is a new type of audio that, um, are super energizing and really specifically designed to transform you into your future self. So I know a lot of us want to manifest things. I know a lot of us are thinking about planning for the future. Um, but a lot of us feel stuck. And so I've just felt like this has unstuck me in just the most beautiful way. So I've been doing a lot of their pep talks. I've been doing some of their writing activations. Uh, this morning I did the three morning questions. It was a seven minute, really vibey writing activation that I love. So I had my journal out. Um, Yesterday, I did a pep talk uh, about tackling procrastination. There's a part of me that procrastinates quite a bit. So I'm just... I love this. I love this. There's going to be an activation for you for this moment, for this day. Uh, It's incredibly supportive. So We actually interviewed Mimi Bouchard, the founder, not too long ago. Check out that interview. Uh, And we have a sample 
of one of the activations on our feed. So you can check that out as well. It's way easier to implement into your routine and far more effective than any other audio app out there. I've just noticed that I'm doing it much more consistently. So please don't miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts. On top of the 14 day free trial, get over 60% off your subscription for a limited time only at activation.com slash almost 30. Literally, there is no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The offer is only available through their website, not on the app store. So that's activations.com slash almost 30 for 60% off. It expires soon. I am juggling quite a bit lately. I have a new baby, um, six months in and, uh, we are finishing our book and running a business and a marriage and a house. And, um, it's just a lot, but everything is all good and just my dream, but it's a lot. But I have found that if my health routine is on point, then everything runs smoothly. And one huge piece of that routine is my supplementation. And Symbiotica has just always been a constant in my routine. Uh, If you haven't heard of Symbiotica, they're a health and wellness company that does everything with intention. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like I know them. (laughs) Shervin has been on the podcast many times. I just have seen how passionate, how incredibly intelligent, how dedicated he is to creating products um, that are clean, plant-based, without toxic or harmful chemicals, which we need more of that in the world. Um, So let me just run you through what I'm taking. Um, I take the vitamin D3 K2. It's the liposomal form. I just squirt 12 little pumps in my mouth every single morning. I also take their B12. Um, I'm also obsessed with the liposomal vitamin C. I have these little packets whether it's winter or whatever season, it's obviously great for immunity, but it also um, is amazing because it has biotin, one of nature's most beautifying ingredients. Uh, So I've seen an improvement in my skin, hair, and nail growth as well. I do have mom brain, um, but I'm doing my best to just support my brain health in any way. So for brain health, focus and memory, I really love taking their liposomal magnesium L3 and 8. Um, it's an innovative form of magnesium that is able to cross the blood brain barrier. It supports brain health, mood, immune system function, and overall well-being. It's incredible and tastes amazing. It's like this yummy vanilla cream flavor. That's the thing with uh, Symbiotica products. They taste unbelievable. So it really makes taking all of these supplements so easy, so yummy. And I actually look forward to it. So if you want to give Symbiotica a try, there is no better time. Right now is the time. Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. Use our code almost 30, 20% off site-wide. So major. And then when you bundle and subscribe, which I highly recommend because you never want to run out of anything, uh, you're going to get an extra discount. So just do it up. Symbiotica.com and use the code almost 30 for 20% off site-wide. How are you doing? I'm excited about Mm. the book. Mm, Thanks. Me too. Super simplified my life. Sold my house, live in an apartment by the beach, fell in love. Yes. And it's Let's all, go. it's like so simple and it's all so good. Oh yeah. my God. Yes. Oh, I'm so yes. happy for you. That makes yeah. me so it's happy. So good. The, the <laughs> mega love being is now in love. I'm excited. Those look great. Your skin looks amazing. Thank you. It's, it's called the, Sweat. It's called Texas 
105 degrees. Yes. <laughs> the glow, isn't it? It's yeah. called the glow, baby. But I do feel yeah. like your your looks change the more you love yourself and the more in more alignment yeah. you are. It's really wild to experience my own soul be more visible from mm-hmm. the exterior. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced that? I feel like you're always has have always been radiant to us, but have you experienced that and just kind of witnessing yourself? Uh, I feel like it's all about the eyes. And, you know, you look back on photos and I can think, I can look at photos and think, I was so pissed off for so many years. Or look how hard I was trying. And it can be like technically a great photo. The lighting can be amazing. And I, I'm showing what was really going on is showing. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited you're here. And yeah, we're just so grateful. We love connecting with you, following you, being a part of your orbit and being in receipt of all the wisdom and truth that you share. It's it's just such a delight. And, you know, when we came across your new book, which I'm excited to talk about, I was like, of course she did. Because, <laughs> of course, I literally was like, dang it, this is, exa- it's, I'm very excited to explore the conversation this evening because the topic is very relevant and pertinent to me, um, mm-hmm. especially. And it's how to be loving in a in a world that is just <laughs> in a world that is torture. in the world. I, that could have been the subtitle. I know in a world that is just what the hell that is just a vibe. <laughs> yeah. And it does feel like that for so many mm. people in our community. So there's a lot of women in our community. There's a lot of people that are deep feelers and empaths and people that want to make a difference, people that want to leave the world better than when they were here, and people that feel incredibly lost, like they can't continue to feel so much and they can't continue to outsource their intuition and all of the things. So I would love to hear about the inspiration behind it. You know, What led you to this place where you wanted to support people in being loving and making change um, in a world that feels like it's impossible? Mm. I'm really into the concept, the practice of being the antidote. And I think it's really what like people in the space can identify with like, oh, I'm a light worker, I'm a spiritual warrior. And it's like, what does that really mean? Yes. And my experience is it usually means being the opposite of what's going on. It's like if things are stagnant, then you gotta like bring the fire. If things are chaotic, you have to be the calm organizing principle. And I feel like I've been through enough chapters, trials, tribulations that I'm in a great place in my life. I'm calm within myself. And isn't it interesting? Now the world's falling apart. Like I finally get it together. (laughs) And like we're in major upheaval. And that's got to be divine. It's got to be purposeful. And then, you know, I'm thinking more about purpose and feelings. I'd love to talk to you all about feelings and what feelings really are. Kind of really just really pull back the curtain on that one. And realizing that like... For over a decade, the driving question of my life was, how do I want to feel? And I still love that question. And it's, it's a useful question. It, it, your feelings tell you left or right, up or down, sign it or walk away. Those are, it's purposeful. It's not the end goal. Feeling great is not the final destination. Being love is the final destination. And that is not predicated on how you feel. So I realized like, hey, I'm not having a great day. 
I'm in a rough patch. And some of those rough patches, as I'm sure you can attest, you feel closer to the divine than ever. Your relationships are deeper, sweeter, more intimate than ever. And I was like, but hey, I'm I'm not feeling my core desired. I'm not feeling those things I've been working so hard to feel, but I feel deep joy. I feel intimacy. I feel God. Hmm, Maybe this is not about how I want to feel. New question. What do I want to be? What do I want to embody? And the answer, obviously, for me is love. Translation. I want to be conscious. I want to be awake. (laughs) I don't want to bring my, all my layers. I don't want to bring them to this conversation. So new question, what do I want to embody? Mm. Yeah. What has been your experience of an evolution with feeling what you're feeling right now? Because I think for a lot of us, sometimes it's, quote, so much. And we think so much is so bad. And we think so much Mm. is going to last forever. Or we think it's going to break us to the point of not being able to rebuild. So can we talk about feelings and feeling the feelings and really what they are? Mm -hmm. Feel the feelings. Don't over-identify with the feelings. So the metaphor throughout how to be loving, and the metaphor really throughout Buddhism is that you are as vast as the sky. And it's a really useful metaphor because like most of us can even just, we can wrap our imaginations around that. Like I'm this big, my actual organizing principle, like the real stuff of me is as vast as the sky. Like, wow. Okay. So just imagine that for a minute. That's your real heart center. Clouds, weather, feelings, happy, sad, angry, rejected, deflated, enraged, passionate, weather. You're not the wet, you're you're not the weather. You're not the storm cloud. You're something bigger. You're the consciousness, like having that experience. So Mm. the sky doesn't say, don't be a cloud. Don't feel angry. Don't feel rejected. Don't be passionate about this. It says, I have space for all of this. But what happens when we get in those feelings and all those feelings, mm-hmm. right, is like this tidal wave. I am this. I am, I am happiness. My life is set. We cling on to the happiness. I am sadness. My life sucks. Neither of those is actually accurate. You are the mother of those feelings. Witness them. Isn't that amazing? You're, you're really feeling a lot of doubt. Huh? But you know what? I, as the one who's having the awareness, the mother of these feelings, I'm vast. I'm unlimited. I'm huge. I'm eternal. I'm connected to everything. So you can feel that. And I'm not going to have any judgment about that. Are we on to the next thing? Now, are we angry now? Are we joyful now? Joy is actually a virtue, not a feeling. But don't over-identify. When you identify, this is why, this is why. When you identify as a feeling, you cling to the feeling because you want, you want your identity, you want your personality to be reinforced. So then you're just like, I am this. And guess you're not that. And if you identify as a feeling or a title or a wife or a girlfriend or a baller or an influencer, whatever it is, 
I'll take baller, baby. (laughs) You said it, honey. You read my mind. You're looking at my face and you're like, baller. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and what what happens on the days you're not a baller? Then you're a loser. Yep, Mm. it's true. And then you're up and down. You're up and down instead of like, I am. Actually. I am made of love. I am the stuff of love. So what's love do? Love. I love the feeling of being a baller. I love the feeling of I have room to feel like I'm a loser. I am spacious. That's expansion. That's consciousness expanding. Yeah. Do you, if we identify as our feelings, we're, we're just... We're done for. Merry go round. Yeah. yeah. And I've kind of in this experience myself where I've recognized that pattern of identifying with my feelings in my life and I'm able to use, you know, sort of the internal family systems model and identify the capital S self and be in the experience of witness. But do you find that with the feeling of when you're committing to really feeling the feelings, you're like, I am actually going to be the observer of my feelings. I'm going to identify them. I'm going to mother them and have them all be with me. Anger, sadness, grief, joy, rage, whatever. Do you find that there's a moment where you're in a portal of feeling all the feelings that you've never let be heard or felt, and then you move through that, and then you're much more able to be one-on-one with a certain feeling? Because I'm curious of, like, when does it end? (laughs) Will I ever be in an experience where I'm more one-on-one with a feeling rather than feeling like I'm surrounded by so many unprocessed feelings that I've sort of ignored my entire life? Oh, wow. That's a great question. So many layers. I don't my sensation is not of being in a portal. Mm-hmm. It's I'm moving more and to, more and more toward that feeling of spaciousness, of holding, of being on top of the surface, not underneath the surface. I can only do that as a result of my practices that clear out all of the debris. Things are so much more quiet in my mind. But here's the thing. I find the more quiet my mind becomes, the more stuff I see. So like I could (laughs) say, when I really started to commit, I'm going to live a heart-centered life, had some dark nights, felt a bit of crucifixion, tsunami, life tsunamis, let's say. Most of us, when we go through those tsunamis, we make two vows. I'm never going back there again. I'm going to do whatever it takes to not go back there. And then there's another sometimes unconscious vow. I want to do whatever I can to help people not get taken out by their tsunami. Like you you really want to flatten people's learning curves. Mm. And I feel like once I really committed to like a heart-centered life, wasn't that like, oh, today I'm going to make the vow, you know, but it's like <laughs> moving into it. Like, I'm really here. I'm here for this. It really, for me, it was like, I want to stay on the planet. I don't want to transcend anymore. I don't want to get out of my body. I don't want to go to my next life, another dimension. It's like, okay, I'm here. This is the best show in town. doesn't even matter if it's the best show in town. I'm here. And I think I'm required. Then the stuff really started to come up. But I was more able to like hold it and was like, wow, am I afraid? It's almost like the law of balance, right? Of contrast. It's like, I am so committing to being the harmony. I so want to be peace. You know what's going to happen? All that light shines through your consciousness, all in the crevices of your life. And then all the little 
cockroaches of anger and rage and all the shit you've held up, held against other people comes to the surface. When I committed to truth, I could see how many lies I told to myself. <laughs> but then my experience is it balances out. I think it was about a year or two of just the bile at the bottom of the barrel. Cause I'm like really in now. It's not unlike a romantic relationship, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. once you commit, it usually takes about a year and a half, 18 months, 24 months, honeymoon's over. Thank God the honeymoon's over. Then we can really get to depth and work and all of that, you know? And then you really see, I think it works the same with the self. You really commit to like, I want to be awake. I want to be love. And then all the goonies come out. You realize, wow, been carrying a lot of shame, et cetera, et cetera. This episode is brought to you by Better Help. Oh, therapy, y'all. I don't know. I just, I don't know what I did before therapy, to be completely honest with you. I think I was kind of a mess, but you know, found it when I was meant to, but I have been going to therapy for about six years now, which is so crazy. So crazy, but it has changed my life and I will continue to invest in therapy for as long as I can. I feel like it has totally, totally made my relationships better, made my career better. I am a better mom. I am a better wife. I'm a better friend. I'm a better daughter and sister. Y'all, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do, this is it. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you get matched and you're like, yeah, not quite a fit, they make it easy and it's free to change. But I've had a lot of friends try BetterHelp and love it. So I really, really encourage you to start therapy. It's been the best decision I've ever made for myself. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash almost 30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash almost 30. What was one of your goonies that came up that was unexpected? Fear of authority. So what my my baller self told me for years, I used to joke about this all the time. I have authority issues. And I thought it was because I am I'm strong, I'm independent, I'm on the path, I'm evolving. Really, my authority issues are about a fear of being controlled. And it's really come up in the last couple of years as the world is buckling and there's all sorts of different requests being made by so-called authorities. And, you know, I was just like, for tears, I've been like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. And I thought, oh, just, just, just hold on. What do, what do I care? I'm free. I make my choices. I know I'm a child of God. I'm free no matter what. If people can be in prison and find liberation and find their oneness, if Nelson Mandela can say 28 years in, he found liberty, then I can be free in the grocery store. So what's really going on here? And when I got down to it, it was just, I mean, not to get into the weeds of like inner child stuff, but I was just scared of being punished. Mm-hmm. And that led me to this bigger Oh, this almost all pervasive paranoia that I had for a long time of being punished. 
which is driving my self-help regimen. That if I don't meditate every day, if I don't, then it was like, if I don't meditate long enough, if I don't meditate with enough electricity, not good enough, not going to burn my karma, I'm going to be struck by something. And that's the ultimate fear of authority. I think I've really mm. kind of having this revelation as well as we're talking about. That's it's like, how we do. Really just the fear of God, God's wrath. And you know, it's interesting since we're, since you're being my therapist right now, we'll just keep going. So I would partner with people whose wrath I would see secretly feared on some level. So again, like I'm in control. I have a lexicon of personal mm-hmm. development. I get shit done. But being in relationship with people who in, in, in some ways kind of like walking on eggshells. You don't want to go too close to their wound. You don't want to bring that up. You don't want to ask for too much. You yourself don't want to be too spacious, evolved, enlightened, making too many requests because you will be punished for the request that comes from either your wounded self or your higher self. Yeah. Thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for <laughs> doing that in real time. And yeah, I relate to to so much of it. And I think in our culture, you know, growing up Catholic, there is the idea of God as sort of the ultimate authority. Then you're kind of in this paradigm of the priest, the pastor, all these things. And I think mine was, yeah, a general mistrust of my parents, not really seeing them as trusted authority figures, not really seeing them as people that I wanted to follow in their footsteps or listen to what they said. And now it sort of applies on the macro level of like a general distrust of authority and belief that they don't have my best interest at hearts, belief that they don't understand me. You know, there's kind of that inner teen is like very present when we're talking about authority too and wanting that level of respect. But when you're going through that process, did you do that in therapy or did you have this realization on your own? Because I want to talk a little bit about when you're coming to huge moments like that, where you're like, wow, I'm seeing something very clearly, a pattern that is played out in my life. How are you recognizing that? Is it with a mirror of a person or is it by yourself? Is it in nature? Like what's that process? Did lots of therapy, know the basics of psychology. At this point in my life, I reserve the right to change my mind. Completely, entirely done with therapy, psychology, absolutely want nothing to do with it. I think if I were to go into therapy at this phase, it would be, well, I'm out. I haven't done therapy for a number of years now. And I'm very grateful to the people who showed up, saved my life, put me back together with chicken mm-hmm. wire and Jungian psychotherapy. I think we get to a point where therapy is just perpetuating the story. And the story comes from the ego and the ego is always going to be looking to separate. What I would love to see in therapy, I'd, and then this happens with lots of people who are true healers. They want to work themselves out of a job, but it would be radical if the majority of us who are going to therapists walked in and said, I'm here because I want to forgive everybody who did me wrong. Okay, maybe we're not there yet. We still have to unpack the impacts of our upbringing and maybe another lifetime, whatever ideology you're in. But what if the therapist took it upon themselves to say, 
how about we work into this program that we get to forgiveness? Because you are not whole until you forgive. You do not know how powerful you are. All those things that you're craving through the revenge, through the storytelling, through the I was done wrong, all those things are on the other side of forgiveness. You want to be seen. You want to know that you're creative, that you're dynamic. You want to be loved, experience love. It all comes from saying, my heart pours love on you. You're good. I'm good. Doesn't mean you keep all the perpetrators and everybody in your life. Nobody's invited back to lunch. It's okay. We don't grow up until we forgive our parents and everybody involved in the wrongdoing. It's it's impossible. We're not we're not whole until the heart welcomes it all in. What do you think is the high level reason for not wanting to forgive or can you give an instance from your own life where you didn't want to forgive like what was that on a deeper level we want to stay small mm. so the small self is saying well i want to keep identifying with stuff it's actually that the small self wants to be the biggest thing in the room and it's just more identity, more layers, more rightness, more definition. If you were wrong, then I can be, I can draw this line. If you said the wrong thing, I can be offended and I have a little more, another little brick in my wall. The ego is just this exaggerated sense of a separate self. So it's going to constantly be looking for reasons to keep you divided, away from your power, away from another person. I believe that it's actually the heart's natural inclination to forgive. And we're hurting ourselves when we don't forgive. And that our default is to love, except we talk ourselves out of it all the time. Or I've had a number, I've had a handful of ex experiences where I was just like, that person clearly screwed me over. They were so out of integrity. That is like such blatant thievery. <laughs> that is so wrong what they did. I'm okay. It's okay. I'm loving. I'm spacious. I have a deep sweetness. It's all right. I have enough love for myself that I can see. I know why they did that. They really need to feel important and la la la. And then somebody in my life would come in and say, You should sue. Right? You should send a letter. I go, what do I, what do I got to send a letter for? And then, you, then you, and then the mind comes in. And the mind goes, all these reasons. Because it, they could do it again in the future. Because it could come back and cost you some money. Because let's just be really clear. It should come from a lawyer and then they're really wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. And just lots of things. I just, I could have saved so, so much more time and energy if I just said, went with my first instinct first instinct, which is, it's cool. It's okay. I loved how with the book, you know, you talk about the assumption that being love means feeling more. And I think as someone that is a oceanic feeler, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm like, mm -hmm. what do you mean? Well, I'm going to be lost. How will I exist if I'm loving more <laughs> and feeling more? It's, it actually scares me. And so what would be, Oh, that's good. What? Yeah. What? What do you want to tell me about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. 
Well, how does it feel to be feeling all the time? Confusing. It feels like I lose myself. I'm like, okay, who? I'm a feeler, but I'm also, if I'm feeling a lot of people and I'm feeling a lot of things for other people and I'm feeling a lot of things for myself, where exactly? And sometimes it's like, where's my experience of life? If I'm constantly, and this is more in the mind when I'm kind of talking about it. If I'm constantly in the mind of the feeling, like where's my actual, how do I actually get a human experience on earth? If I'm consistently like in the vibe of feeling all the time. So sometimes when I think about love, I do think about the love being that compassion and the compassion sometimes feels like, and I know this isn't correct, but taking on others energy at times, whether heal for them or hold that space or whatever. So it feels overwhelming to be like, okay, I've got to be in love more. And I guess for me too, it's like love is the exalted, beautiful expression, you know, of purity, which feels so amazing, but it is also the the hard. And it is also from me, the, the other end of it, where it can be something that's really deep. Mm. You guys are great. Love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love doesn't go up and down. Love is never confused. It's not a merry-go-round. It's not a wave. Love is steady, abiding, impenetrable, and penetrating everything. It's the stuff of life. It is the fabric of existence. It just, it's hard to wrap your head around, Mm -hmm. but it just is. It doesn't get thrown off if someone says the wrong thing. It is just, it keeps loving. It keeps shining. It's just ever generative consciousness. There's nothing whimsical about it. Feelings, this might be bad news, hard news. Everything you feel comes from the past. Mm -hmm. So this is a question I ask in how to be loving. We'll come up with another metaphor. Someone doesn't show up for a date. Girlfriend, boyfriend, cafe date. What are we most likely to feel? Pissed off, angry. How do we know we're supposed to be angry? We've been trained. We've been programmed and conditioned. Somebody once told us, you should be pissed off when people are late. We heard it from our parents. We saw it in school. We were taught. But we're inculcated into how we should feel in so many situations. Oh, this is the situation. This is what's happening. Therefore, I'm going to pull out this feeling. I'm going to have this particular reaction. When you're more conscious, you have a wider range of feelings. You know, it's like kids. You ask an eight-year-old boy how they feel. They go, happy or things suck. That's it. That's the range. (laughs) We get more mature. We're like all kinds of layers of emotions. This is more texture and everything. Emotions come from the subconscious. Every mystic, Einstein, Jung has said, they're guessing. We're about 5% conscious. So let's just go with the math. That means 95% of what we feel is actually coming from below the surface. We're not aware of it. We're not choosing to feel that way. We're not choosing to run that energy through our system. It's just like, oop. It's in the basement and it comes up and it's in our living room. Well, where'd you come from? Your subconscious, which is full of media, 
stories and past life stuff and culture and ancestry and all of that. So let's go to love for a second. And I really want to talk about you and everybody who identifies as being empathic, feeling other, other people's feelings, and that being of service, because that's a, actually such a beautiful thing. Love is a state of beingness, a state of consciousness. It's a virtue. Virtues being other things like, all these other virtues I'm about to name are all like the offspring of the queen virtue, which is love. Love makes compassion. Love makes forgiving. Love makes resilience and loving kindness, which is different than love. Love makes radiance. Love's make, love makes generosity, gentleness. Those things come through you. You just are that in that moment. It's like a full energy body, physical experience. You don't even have to think about it. And then you move. Then we're in this dimension. We're here in these bodies. And, and then we speak and our words are compassionate. And we eat compassionately. And we move compassionately. Whatever those things mean for everybody. Feeling other people's feelings in a way that it's, it's of service. The way that it's not of service to you or anybody else is you think you got to do everybody else's work for them to earn your keep. I think there's something deep within us that says, if I grieve or cry on, on your behalf, I'm earning, I'm, this is my job as a new ager and I'm burning my karma. Okay, that's the unhealed self saying, I'm going to just keep suffering. Then I think there's the heart center or consciousness that says, give it to me. I can take it. I'll cry with you. I'll cry for you. I have space for you. And this is where the great masters go. This is the life of Christ. I will die on your behalf. There's a beautiful story of, with Yogananda, Paramahasana Yogananda. So there's many gurus at that kind of level, you could say, known and unknown. Mostly we don't know who they are because they weren't on Instagram when they got enlightened. <laughs> and they consciously take on the suffering of their community. So Yogananda's disciples can see him physically suffering. He, this guy, is in pain. Everybody's aware that he is intentionally burning the karma of his devotees. And it's not like you're a great master and you're going to take it and not feel it or experience it. Like you're going to burn it. And the disciple says to him, oh, master, I see you suffering. And Yogananda says, don't. It's because of the suffering that I know the great mother. Like, so there's so much in there. So it's like, I don't, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing like the three of us right now, we haven't reached those heights of Yogananda enlightenment. We're all going to get there someday. Everybody, everybody, everybody is going to get there someday. So I think I am not equipped to feel your feelings for you and to burn it in a clean way. I can't actually take that from you. I'm just going to get in your energy field, stir it up and mix some shit up. And I'm not going to further myself. That's going to manifest in me as like something I don't want in my body, 
I'm not going to think clearly. I won't be able to show up and serve and do this kind of stuff. But I think we all have the experience of, you know, you can be with a partner and certainly anybody who loves a child, you know, with a child, you'd say, oh, if I could, if I could take that away from you, I would. And you mean it because you have the capacity. Oh, how you feel about being bullied today? I could take that. I could eat that. I could eat your pain for breakfast because you're love. But other stuff, I don't think we're that high frequency enough to take on other people's pain. I get it. I'm not high frequency. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Keep it coming. (laughs) No, I agree. And there there is something too, I was talking to Krista in the car about, because your example made me think of it. For example, when I look at a person who is displaced without a home on the street and there is something in my heart that I feel to put simply bad. I feel bad for them. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to something recently that just kind of reframed that for myself uh, where there really is no, there's no purpose for me or this other person or just for us all for me to feel bad for this person. One, because it it really draws the line of separation between the two of us where I feel bad for this person, but I'm unable in that moment to really see or feel that we are one in a sense. Define feeling bad for them. What do you mean mm -hmm. you feel bad? Oh, I feel... It's almost I, (laughs) I have a really fabulous imagination. And so I imagine Mm. their feeling of loneliness, of hunger, not only for food, but for a hug, for connection. Mm. And I have so much of that. And I just, yeah, that, that, that contrast or that, you know, difference, I, I feel bad. Mm-hmm. in those fleeting moments, because we're moving so fast in life, and in those fleeting moments where I'm driving in the car and I stop at a red light and there's someone on, on the side of the street and, you know, if there's something I can give, I will give. But if there's not, the moment passes and then I'm on with my life and this person is on with theirs. But it just made me think about just that interaction of feeling bad and how I can see them in a different way mm-hmm. and how that might have an effect not only on me and my experience, but really on their experience as well. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Yeah, there's a couple <laughs> layers. One is um, I think the appropriate response is heartbreak every time. Yeah. Mm. And the more we let our heartbreaks, like the more loving we become, the more powerful we become, like none of this is okay. Yes. This is not normal. People are on this. Human beings are living on the street. They can't, they, they're not bathing. There's mentally unstable people wandering around without homes. What? We, this can never be okay. Well, that's one layer. The other layer is you do not know somebody else's path. That could be the Buddha on the corner. You know, and it's like, you can look at 
I mean, look at, look at, you can look at monks who take vows of poverty and walk through the village with their begging bowls. And that is their way of getting closer to enlightenment. They burn through that suffering. How do I know that the guy in the corner of like Denman and Davy here is not some bodhisattva? And that's his thing. Okay, I'm going hardcore this lifetime. I'm going to be homeless, going to have some addiction issues. And I'm going to learn what it is to be close to the divine and annihilated and all those things. Mm -hmm. So like, don't know that. Don't know what's possible. They could turn out to be one of the greatest leaders of our generation once they get on their feet. And then I just think we have to keep asking what we can do. Yeah. yeah. And can't save and can't save everybody, but mm-hmm. I can save one person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this reminds me of like so many conversations I've had with shrinks and counselors and psychiatrists where I go, how do you do this? Mm-hmm. How do you love everybody? Because you got to love your clients, your patients, you know, and they just, it's about faith. The answers are always a bit different, but it has to do with like, I have faith that people recover. And, um, so I have faith in the homeless guy that he might not get it this lifetime, but he's, he's going to get there and maybe he's getting just what he needs right now. Yeah. As hard as that is to fathom. Mm Mm-hmm. I think what, you know, can be keep people from being in that hard and probably myself for sure is the mind. And so how can we think about unconditioning the mind and really what sort of thoughts in the mind are we exploring further? So say in the example of authority, is this like, you know, this is a thought that I'd actually like to explore further because it brings me closer to my heart. And then what sort of thoughts are kind of like, hey, we're not, we don't really need to go into that one because that's not, not going to lead us to a greater place of love. What's your process for unconditioning the mind and really determining what sort of stories deserve greater attention? Mm. I think you focus on what it is that you want to grow. I really think you focus on the light. You focus on the beauty. You focus on the love. And then the crunchy, dense, heavy stuff, it naturally starts to dissolve. And this is the shadow side of our quote unquote industry, right? Mm -hmm. Is like so many steps and so much fixing and so much repairing and so much excavating and the fucking stories all the time. Mm -hmm. We're not, we're not keeping appointed to like where we want it to go. Now, someone listening might go, that's a spiritual bypass. That is not a spiritual bypass. I see it all. I see the pain. I see the agony. I see the family of origin stuff. And from there, I make a conscious choice about what I'm going to focus on. I'm not denying it at all. I see its impacts. It's made me neurotic. It's made me whatever. I'm going to choose this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one thing, I've got this kind of methodology that's emerging because, you know, I love methodologies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, so I hate the steps. The steps are all bad, but I got a methodology. <laughs> yeah, totally. I got seven steps for you. Yeah, I get ready. <laughs> I like processes. Mm-hmm. It's emerging. It's all around choosing loving thoughts. And I have to be able to do this in a non-spiritual bypassy way. So the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali teaches, and this was so validating for me. I was like, boom, knew it. 
yeah. is you think a negative thought, you should rush in, I'm paraphrasing, with a positive thought immediately. And I, you know, and I got to kind of test that theory. How is that not the spiritual bypass? This is the warriorship. It's like, there's the agony. I see it. I felt it. I didn't deny it. I'm going to choose love. I'm going to go for the walk. I'm going to choose the gentle thing today. It's always about being the antidote. Yeah. Mm. yeah I call it the high and by because it's like, say hello to the feeling, but you don't need to, you can like, hi, but you don't need to be wallowing in it and self-identifying with it. And I think we've seen in our space that happen quite a bit where it's really powerful that people are now able to identify their feelings, their expressions, their traumas, their shadow. But it does feel like people are getting caught in the experience of over-identification of it because the ego's like, fuck yes, I'm now hiding in the shadow work. I'm now hiding in these places. So how do we get people to move out of these sort of identifications with the traumas, the stories, the shadow, and bring them not out and up, but bring them over to love? Forgive your parents. Mm. And do you do that with, okay, let's just, let's double click on that. So do you, (laughs) is that a conversation or is that done internally? Is that done with a ceremony, a ritual? Like, what does that actually look like? You don't even need to talk to them about it. This is, here's the bigger, the meta behind this is that we have a family and they screw us up because nobody's perfect. We're born into these imperfect People, situations, we really think they're going to get it right. We're not like, nobody's getting this right. And then the blaming happens with the family of origin stuff and the stuff I didn't get from my mother, father, sister, brother, whoever, however you grew up, forgive your community. If it's about somebody in your community wounding you, nobody matches up to the fantasy we have of perfect love. Then we get resentful. And then the resentment turns into some shame. And then that shame just turns into all these bad habits of keeping us unhappy, unhealthy, unfulfilled. And then we realize, you know, we've all done lots of therapy or going to do lots of therapy. And we realize everybody was doing the best they could. And then we start to toy with the idea of forgiveness. But there's something I think much more meaningful and sweeping before all of that, which is we can say, and this is psychologically sound. Let's say you had a father who abandoned you. Psych 101 is going to tell you that you're going to probably marry someone who in some way or another abandons you. They're going to be out of a town a lot, or they're going to be numbing out. Like they're not there for you. We know that. It's statistically true that women who are beaten as children, marry men who are physically abusive. All the data is there. So you could say, when I'm older, I have this abandonment theme because of my original upbringing. And that is, I think, very accurate. But I think it's only half of the story. I think your soul comes in with a theme of abandonment. And therefore, you choose those parents. So let's let's just freeze for a second on choosing an abusive husband, let's say, 
let's make this less traumatic and sensitive. So let's mm-hmm. say, let's go with the abandonment issue. Mm-hmm. Had a father who abandoned you, marry someone who's not present, abandoning you in various ways. You go through your cathartic experience, you go through your revelatory experience, and you say, I am going to be here for myself. And that is the lesson of this relationship. He's forgiven. I'm never going to abandon myself again. I had to go through that marriage, whatever it was, relationship container to realize my abandonment issue is about me staying steady for me. Cool. Yes, sister, mister, that's it. But you came in with the abandonment issue. Your soul is like, let's clean up this business this lifetime. So it's not just about attracting that husband. So it can they, that husband is going to poke at your wounds mm. and stir all that stuff up and abandon you so you can say, I'm solid and not leaving myself. It's about you choose those parents or that community or whatever to say, we're going to poke at that wound so you can really get in there. And when you take that perspective and think, wow, I, I brought in this situation from day one to deal with a core essential theme in my being, then you kind of take the heat off your parents a bit. It doesn't mean you're justifying anybody's bad behavior. Your father is still going to have his karma. It would be so blessed if your father was more awake and conscious and healed himself and was there for you so much more. But he's never going to be there for you 100% because no one's perfect in this dimension. So there's the, the part we get to in therapy of like, okay, wow, it's so liberating. Like everybody is just trying their best. I'm good. And we really mean it. Mm-hmm. There's a bigger, which is, I came in to clean this up. They gave me exactly what I needed so I can realize, like, I have never been abandoned by life. Something has been breathing me. Life has been loving me for lifetimes or since this first breath. Life has had my back. And that is, that's all that matters at the end of the day. Your relationship to the infinite. Your parents are kind of inconsequential mm. in some ways. Like you're just puppets. It's all just it's all just theater down here, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Have you ever been in a state where you know a theme comes up again and again, and you're like, enough? How have you overcome the frustration in a moment mm-hmm. like that, where it's like this again? Mm-hmm. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. And really dug a level or two deeper into it. I guess, what does that require of us? Well, my metaphor for this is that I think self-help has in, entrained us in thinking like growth is sequential. Mm-hmm. There's steps or like you you peel back this layer and then you're good and then you get to do this and you get to do that. <laughs> That's not my experience. Mm-hmm. My experience is like, I took all these workshops and I actually forgave and I became more loving and more right and all these things. <laughs> And then this theme comes up again. And then I go into the self-criticism. Why this theme again? Why do I manifest this, attract this? Why am I triggered by this? It's because like, I'm not a train on a track. I'm not a robot. There isn't a, there isn't a sequence to this. We are, and this is more than a metaphor. I mean, I, when I use this term, I'm speaking very literally. We are the solar system. 
So we got small planets. We have small issues in us. We have big planets. We have big issues. Stars are dying all the time. We have things that are dying within us and things that are being born. It's holographic. It's multidimensional. It's nonlinear. It's it's the butterfly effect. How I'm being today is going to affect how I am tomorrow. And so I'm going to see something different tomorrow. And then I'm going to have this conversation with these wonderful women. And we're all going to have maybe little big epiphanies. And then that's going to prepare me more. Like you might say something that triggers this memory. And now and that I haven't remembered in years. But now because I'm more awake, I'm sleeping through the night, I eat clean, I have the capacity to remember what I just what just came up and heal it. So, you know, I had a big super meltdown kind of breakdown-ish um, about four or five years ago. And I had it at that time, not because I was weaker than usual, but because my life was a stronger system than ever. I had enough in place. I had enough love from friends. I had professional stability, got a team, which means someone can keep the engine running and I can feed my kid, pay my rent. Now's a good time to fall apart. I'm also psychologically robust enough. I've been through enough many traumas and recoveries. My system is now resilient enough psychologically, spiritually, that we can now dig way deeper and let the cracking out mm-hmm. <laughs> and go through something that you know bring you to your knees. It's when we're really, I think, I'm just gonna. I know it sounds ironic, but I think really when we're spiritually robust enough mm-hmm. that we go down and we meet our strength. We meet our strength. Mm-hmm. I love having a visual of a kraken. Every once in a while, I just need a little kraken. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because I think there people would feel, and I'm curious if you felt this at first and you had to work through it. In that instance, maybe I'm projecting, but there's shame where it's like, I'm so well-resourced. I have oh, yes. so many friends. I have so many things. Why am I going to this level? So I think what you said is important, and I want to speak have you speak to that shame for a second because I think so many people in our community are incredibly profound and resourced and advanced in their spirituality in a true actual sense. So what is that experience of, of that shame during that? No, lots of people went through it and you think you're resourced and we are, we are, we are, but really the work begins with the shame. Like you, you really forget all the workshops you've been to just feel ashamed about how unenlightened you are. And that is, that's it. That's where you get to be your own doctor, right? I think all the great mystics talk about self-compassion when you're in the bowels, when you're embarrassed that there was even a kraken to begin with. What really helped me through my own shame was reading stories about other people's dark nights and how ashamed they felt. Henry Noon, this incredible Dutch priest, helped hundreds, thousands of people through their own dark nights Mm. and just got a little bit thrown off because a relationship went sideways. Had like a kind of beloved figure in his life. 
and couldn't get out of bed for months. So ashamed. Reading stories about really highly venerated monks who were initiating people, being, you wouldn't say worshipped in Buddhist terms, but being highly honored. And out of nowhere, anxiety attacks. And I just thought, wow, if that guy who was running that abbey on the side of a mountain in the Himalayas and initiating people into higher levels of consciousness, mm-hmm. was having panic attacks, then I'm, I can be good for taking a couple months off of work to cry every day. Yeah. That's goals. Mm-hmm. Before we hopped on here, you said that you've simplified. Oh, yeah, big time. I would love to just talk about that a little bit because I've felt that in the last couple of years, just the simplification of a few areas of my life. And I'm excited to keep exploring what that really means and what that actually looks like. But what does that look like for you and why was it important at this time? It's been really radical and I'm not done. I actually just realized today I'm not, there's a whole other layer I got to get to. And the surface of it looks like I sold my house, got rid of two thirds of my possessions almost all of my high heels. And I moved to an apartment just to be by the beach and simplified my team. And lots dissolved. Like there's a lot of ambition that dissolved. Now some of it's some of it's back, uh, but it comes from a different place. I simplified all my methodologies and all my spiritual practices. It was it was as it was as basic as, you know, I used to think, I'm going to do like three different meditations this week, just like different flavor and different dimensions and, you know, and more, more, more. And now, and then I went through this phase of, I'm going to do one practice for no more than 20 minutes every day for six months. How simple is that? It's like easy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stop worrying about what my friends think if I'm not in touch with them. Just going to keep it simple. When I can call, I call. When I can't, I know I'm going to assume love. I want for way less. I feel quite quite moved when I say that, but I just mm. want for less. I want for less. I have enough. And um, I have enough sanity. I have enough space. There's enough, there's an enoughness. And I now approach simplicity as a spiritual practice. Like what else can I remove so I'm not distracted from what's real? So, I mean, this is more kind of spiritual hygiene, but I become ruthless with like my media intake on all levels. So. And this is interesting, you know, I have an 18-year-old son who's like essentially my roommate (laughs) and the shit he listens to Mm -hmm. and thinks is art. And I can hear the art into it in it, but it's like, I don't want to hear those that messaging. I don't want it. I can like the more refined my consciousness becomes, the more I see what's sticking to my consciousness. It's like these, it's like this Velcro effect. And I think the reason we do that is because. The consciousness is registering an intruder. 
Like people, you could say like, why do we obsess on things? Why will we go to the negative thought? Because it's intrusive into your foundation of peace. So even if, you know, I was listening to like some old Billie Holiday, love Billie Holiday. Messaging is not great. Mm-hmm. It's about letting your man beat you a lot. It's a lot of suffering. Now, did that story need to be told at that time? Was there a lot of activism in some of her stuff? Absolutely. I mean, we go down this Billie Holiday path. But if it tells me that I should be heartbroken, that I'm not going to recover, that anybody's a loser, that it's just all about getting fucked, I just turn it off. And it makes a difference. I mean, there's a time when my nervous system was really jacked. I couldn't listen to anything. And now I'm like, I'm in a really robust, sweet place right now. But yeah, and, and, you know, side note, I haven't watched the actual news in probably eight years. And I'm feeling pretty informed about what's going on in my life and the world. Mm -hmm. And I sleep well at night. Yeah, I completely hear you with the the media stuff. It's like if you couldn't see it written down on paper or in a text to someone or you wouldn't want a child listening to it, why would you want to have that frequency and that coding in your mind? And I think people have songs stuck in their head all the time. So if we're thinking about a song stuck in our head and then we're thinking about the lyrics of a song stuck in your head, what's happening there? You know, it's... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of the hygiene. And I really love the simplicity because all your items have a frequency. You know, your joy in your space and your expression in your space is really important. The nourishment's really beautiful. I'm really grateful that you touched on that because, you know, as much as I wish that wasn't true, I do think that the nourishment and the intentionality around it is really, really important. So for the book, what is the most unexpected part? Like, what was the part where you're like, huh, I didn't know this message was going to come through. I didn't know this was going to be included. Oh, that's a good one. That boundaries are developmental. They're not the end goal. And that I think we are becoming overbounded. I wrote down boundaries. I'm glad you said it. Detrimental. Yeah. Yes, have boundaries. Wake up and realize it's good for everybody that you be treated a certain way. You don't want to work 70-hour work weeks. You don't want to put yourself in toxic environments. It's essential. You cannot skip that part of your growth. And then I recommend once you get boundaries set, you burn them down. Because I tell I tell a story in, a, in the book about going for a walk with a friend who's being really shitty to me. And I think this is the work paying off. This is just like... <laughs> This is what happens when you just meditate a little bit every day. <laughs> you just think, life, fill my mind with loving thoughts. Like it actually pays off. It works. They were going off on their thing, little passive aggressive. I can, you know, and with that, I can be really great at being offended. And that day I just made a different choice. And I was like, I got this. It's okay. They are in pain. They have so much stuff they have not dealt with. They are going to take it out on me and the barista and everybody. I am the sky. This is where the, I'm I'm telling you, the metaphor of the sky really (laughs) works. I looked up and thought, I'm this big. I can do this conversation and I can be with them without picking a fight. 
and I can just witness and listen and then peace out. How did I feel? Now, this is the winning question. How did I feel after that? How did I feel after I was unbounded? I let my boundaries completely down. Amazing. I felt powerful. I felt full of love. I felt a sense of possibility. I actually thought it was great for our relationship. They felt listened to. I didn't take the bait. That's my experience of when I say, generally, when I walk through life and say, it's okay. It's okay. It's not the best way to talk to me, but it's okay. Then I am being the God of my life. And I am realizing that I have love to spare. And it feels so good to just be that. I've never heard it. Love to spare, like that feeling Mm -hmm. of having love to spare. It makes me think of like, well, how often am I withholding love because I, Mm -hmm. because of a million reasons, right? Right. But that is just so beautiful. I love you so much. Yeah, this like literally, I just love you so much. I love you, women. I was so excited to have this conversation today. Us too. This is one of my first conversations about how to be loving, and it feels like really inaugural. I feel like I just keep my eye on you. Like you're just so full and emerging and future is bright for you. And I'm also so happy you found each other. Mm. What a gift. eh? Yeah, it's a huge gift. (laughs) It's a huge gift. We're going to clip the podcast to just this part. (laughs) So just... Just so you know, when it comes out, we're kind of just focusing on that part. Um, and we're so happy for you. Yeah, babe. Truly, uh, where you are right now, I'm just, yeah, like, I'm so happy for you. We look up to you in such a deep way and are just so grateful. I mean, it's such a dream for me to be able mm-hmm. to connect with you and have you see us and, and be seen. So we're here to support you all along the way. And oh, likewise, I can't likewise. wait till we meet in person. Yeah, it's, it'll happen. Thank you so much, Danielle Laporte, the amazing Danielle Laporte. You can go to daniellelaporte.com for more information about her and you can get the book, How to Be Loving, out now. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you're subscribed to Almost 30 Podcast and be sure to check out our new podcast, Morning Microdose. We have clips from shows uh, that we've had over the years and these are vortex moments where truly you will feel inspired. You will feel activated in the best way. And we hope that these will be the perfect way to start your day. So we'll see you over a morning microdose as well. And we will see you on the next Almost 30 podcast episode. We love you guys. We love you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.